Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Okay, well, Dario is uh, up and Adam, so to the phone lines. Good morning, Dario. Morning, sir. Morning. I've got a question. Um, I moved up to Pleasanton about three years ago. Okay. Real, real sandy soil. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to grow grass for the last three years, and I just can't get it to hold. I bought a a pallet of of Bermuda grass, um, and it never really took hold very well. It always looked kind of sickly. Okay. I also planted some uh, St. Augustine. Uh, didn't get a whole pallet of it, just, you know, a little bit. But uh, same thing, you know, it, it's all died. The weeds all grow real nice and, and healthy, <laughs> but I can't get the damn grass to grow. It, it just, it's just, it's bothering me. Well, <laughs> my language. <laughs> I know the feeling. I hear the frustration and uh, I've been there, done that. Uh, the, your problem around Pleasanton is just that the soil drains so quickly it, uh-huh. This is certainly, if you want to get some grass established, this is a time of year to do it. It's very hard to get things established, you know, in the hot part of the summer because it just, uh, you know, you just can't put down enough water to really keep them going. But the thing about planting grass, you will first of all want to be sure you're getting good quality sod. You need to plant it the day you get it. It cannot remain stacked on those pallets. It gets a fungus in it. Correct. Um, and you need to roll it. You need to press that grass very tightly against the sandy soil underneath. But if uh-huh. they're, if you're having problems getting it going it's almost always a a lack of water issue bermuda in particular is one of the toughest grass out grasses out there and it loves two things it loves loves fertilizer and it loves water and you've got to water long enough to get that soil wet an inch deep you probably got to be watering 45 minutes at a time and when you first put your grass out um, now, if you're if you're doing it right now when we're still relatively cool, you could probably be watering it every other day. But uh, the first six to eight weeks, it it just is almost impossible to overwater the grass. And uh, as like I say, as long as you start with good quality grass and the weeds are growing, that t- the fact the weeds are growing tells me there's nothing wrong with the soil. There's no chemical residue or anything like that that's uh, creating an issue. I'd, I'm going to tell you, just almost has to be uh, l- lack of either nutrition or water. And with uh, uh, nutrition, go with one of the good organic products that doesn't burn. You can actually put some fertilizer out before you put your new sod down. And um, it's, uh, golly, it just it should not be that difficult. And uh, this time of year, it's going to be real easy. But just every time you think about it, give it. I guess the thing I would say is there's no such thing as uh, overwatering. You can do it too often. But if you're going to water a little bit, water a lot to really soak that soil, to really get, you know, make it possible for that grass to get its roots down. And um, I, I can't believe you won't be successful with it. Okay. Now, would you suggest I put any, like, uh, 
other type of soil or manure or no. anything to chill it in. No. no. Over time. Uh, the soil test, the soil is great. You know, as far as the soil test, uh, yeah, front and backyard, I, I tested both, and uh, the soil is like right smack in the middle, perfect. So it's, yeah, it's, it, I'm sure it came up low in nitrogen and probably moderately high in phosphorus, very high in potassium, but low in organic uh-huh. material. And, you know, that's just typical. Over time, you will build the organic material in the soil, and you do that by staying with organic fertilizers. If you want to make it happen more quickly, you can put out a little molasses, either liquid or dry, periodically. But uh, you're starting really? with a good substrate. You just don't have any organic material in the soil. But you're going to build that over time. I don't think it would accomplish anything and in some ways be counterproductive to try to put a bunch of compost or something in before you plant because you don't want all that carbon dioxide generated down at the root zone after you plant your grass if you want to put a little compost on top of it now that would be a good idea but just lay your sod out there as you say you've got you've got a good place to start but uh you're just all you have to add is fertilizer and water Okay, well, I appreciate the advice. I'm, I'm going to try it again. <laughs> you call me back is, uh, two weeks after you do it. Let me know how it's looking, and if there are any problems, I'll help you get through them. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, it's my yeah, pleasure. You do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, Mike's turn next. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Uh, boy, you are one heck of a hard person to get a hold of. <laughs> you just must be trying on the on the wrong days or whatever i i spend about 40 or 50 hours a week around the nursery and yeah i'll be i'm sometimes a little hard to get hold of on my days off but uh every day except tuesday and thursday i should be a lot easier to find yeah i uh you know passing through i just drop in and, and uh the last time was uh on a Monday, and you had just left run errands. Are you the one that left a couple of samples? Yes, sir. Okay. I I got samples. I got a phone number, but as I I couldn't find who you'd talk to, and I said, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to identify these, talk to them about the problem with them? And the reason is somebody, uh, you know, left me some samples one time, and I called, and I spent about five minutes telling him what was wrong with them. He said, well, I really just wanted to know what they were. (laughs) So tell me, it looked to me like one was citrus, and the other was probably some old wax leaf ligustrum. Yeah, one, uh, the well, <clears throat> all of them, you know, uh, I'm sure you, you probably noticed it. Uh, the lime tree, had, uh-huh. uh, the key lime has uh, uh, those spots on them. They mm-hmm. uh, have uh, the leaves curling, you name it. Uh, but they all seem to have, like, some, some kind of, something's eating them. Uh, oh, one of them also, I believe, was uh, bougainvillea. I didn't uh, see that one. They have these critters. Uh, whatever spiders or whatever the heck it is that's eating them and uh you name it i've tried it uh bob uh, you know the bt and uh you know way back when before i started listening to you i had even used uh malathion and you name it uh, i've tried it okay and, uh, oh the i did you know the leaf curling is more weather related than anything else every citrus tree out there is going through some yellowing, some leaf drops, some leaf curling, and they're just starting to put on the new growth. That tender new growth is tasty for just about everything that comes along. And if you haven't tried it, I would get, there's a product out there called Spinosad Soap. And it's a combination of Spinosad along with insecticidal soap. 
And that has kind of been my go-to spray. It works against stink bugs. It works against caterpillars. And I have not found any insect problem that I have not been able to control. And that includes the blasted things getting on the tomato plants middle of the summer. So um, get yourself. It comes as a concentrate now. For a while, we could only get it in a little ready-to-use sprayer, which is very convenient unless you have several things to spray. But you can get the spinosad soap as a concentrate now and that is what i would uh that's what i'd be trying on them and uh the spiders don't eat this uh plants spiders are out there to eat whatever is eating the plant so don't worry about the spiders but uh, i it wasn't definitive the you know the little leaf cutter bees sometimes get on there and cut those little perfect round circles didn't see any of that so um, it could be grasshoppers, it could be caterpillars, it could be any number of little beetles just kind of munching on it, and I think you get any of those things would come along with a little bit of the spinosad soap. Okay, great. I have used spinosad, but I don't recall if it was spinosad soap. The spinosad soap, in my experience, has been ten times more effective than spinosad alone. Okay, great, great. And now um, that ligustrum, it just is, you know, it looks like, you know, most of the wax leaf ligustrum around, it's iron deficient. Um, I'd be feeding it fairly heavily. I'd be putting a little green sand or magic sand around it. I would be making certain that root flare is exposed. Is that a very mature plant or is it a relatively? Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's very mature. And that's the one that I had told you a while back that uh, I think there's like six bushes out there along mm-hmm. the side of the, my driveway. And it's uh, uh, one of them finally... Um, I think, you know, just died completely. I got that uh, stuff uh, that you mentioned that's, mm-hmm. like, really expensive that saves, you know. Oh, the Super Thrive? Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, it just looks like it's, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the uh, the trees we used to have up in, in Detroit. That, yeah. Uh, some critter got into it, and they just died, you know, one right after the other. And that's what it seems like something's gotten into yeah. it. Yeah, ash borers like and, yeah. Um. I hate to tell you, but uh, waxleaf ligustrum has a limited lifespan, and it will get to a point where it's time to just put something else in there. Uh, The things I would try, number one, of course, look at the base and be sure that root flare is exposed. Beyond that, I'd be using two or three pounds of good organic fertilizer and green sand around them. The leaves that are on there are not going to change, but it's just the time that those plants will be starting to put on their new growth. So I'd do this in the real near future, and I would see, I think you can get the new growth coming out looking pretty good, but I'd be thinking long-term about what you're going to replace those things with because they they just, uh, wax leaf ligustrum just doesn't live forever, and that's probably a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bob, I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you, Mike, and uh, I just, uh, you know, again, sometimes I usually get to work about 5.30 in the morning, so if I can sneak out of there a few minutes early, and some days we do go take off to write the newsletter or something, but uh, if you're making a special trip, just always call ahead, but uh, any day except Tuesday or Thursday, your chances are pretty good at catching me there. Great. All right. Talk to you uh, again soon. Look forward to it. You have a great weekend. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. <laughs> People waking up out there. It's going to be Sid and Kim and Faye, and Sid's up first. Good morning, Sid. Good morning. Good morning, sir. 
Bob, I saw my first little grasshopper yesterday, so what should I do? Oh, it's if you can find uh, either semaspore, S-E-M-A-S-P-O-R-E, or NOLO, N-O-L-O. Those are they're the same product. They contain a bacteria called Nosema lacustri that is the most effective grasshopper killer I have ever found. Uh, we heard earlier this week that one of the companies that makes the product is just uh, the folks are retiring and not going to do it anymore. So um, you may have to call around to see who has it in stock. We're searching pretty far and wide for it right now, but that's the best grasshopper killer I have found. And beyond that, you know, put out some bird feeders. Birds eat a huge number of grasshoppers, but grasshoppers are tough to kill. And, um, I'd, I'd sure start out looking for either semispore or no low. If you can find that, put it out. A one pound container does like a half an acre. So it doesn't take much. But you do want to get the bait out when the grasshoppers are, are very young. And the best way to apply it is how? It's like a, it's kind of like a meal. Uh, best way to apply it is uh, pick a windy day, stand up wind of where you want it, and literally just throw it up in the air. You want to disperse it very, very widely. Uh, it is a bait material. It doesn't kill the grasshoppers instantly. It sickens them, and grasshoppers are very cannibalistic. Uh, the other grasshoppers start eating the ones that are sick. They pick up the bacteria, and um, it just turns it down to a very manageable problem. Now, last year, I applied it around the outside of the garden. Is mm-hmm. that the way to do it, or is it? should I actually put it in the garden? I would put it anywhere you're seeing grasshoppers. And if okay. it were me, I would, uh, again, that container is a lot more than you probably need. I keep it in the freezer. Um, you know, put out a, a relatively small amount, areas that you're seeing the grasshoppers, stick the rest of it back in the freezer, plan on repeating it in a month or six weeks or so. Okay. All right. Another uh, question. I have a, a bed where my wife is wanting to uh, plant some, a fig tree, and she dug it out yesterday, and, I mean, it was just really full of uh, Bermuda grass. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure she got it all. Uh, <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> there. So, uh, what is the best way to to try to rid that stuff out of that uh, out of that bed? Well, at this time of year, there's not anything you can do really. The only thing that really works is solarizing it in the middle of the hottest summer months, July, August, but. Here's the thing. Bermuda grass is not really going to interfere with a fig tree. That fig tree is going to get big and thick and full, and the Bermuda grass is not going to grow underneath it because it's too shady. I go ahead and plant the fig tree. I would, uh, you know, put a good mulch down, and then I would deal with what little bit of Bermuda grass decides to sprout up because it's not going to be a long-term problem. Figs just get so big and dense practically all the way to the ground that, uh, um, you're just not going to have a lot of issues with Bermuda grass underneath it, but, um, you're, you're wasting your time 
to to really think that you're going to get every bit of, of Bermuda grass. Like I say, July, August, yeah, we can wet the soil. We can tint it with some plastic, either black or clear, and let it literally bake for six months, and that will kill out pretty much 100% of the Bermuda grass. But you don't wait that long. You want to plant that fig tree, and uh, I think it's going to be a nuisance rather than a major problem. Okay, now a similar problem is in our asparagus bed. Mm-hmm. So what can we do there? Oh, I wish that there were an easy answer because anything that kills the Bermuda grass is going to be hard on your asparagus. I tend to put down a couple of inches of mulch, and that Bermuda grass will grow through it. But when it does, it's relatively easy to pull. Um, It's, you know, again, anything on earth that will kill Bermuda grass is going to damage your asparagus. Uh, Kind of the same thing, though. The asparagus is going to come up and get so dense and thick with plenty of water and fertilizer in the summer months, Bermuda is not going to be a serious issue. But beyond that, your your asparagus loves to be mulched, and what little Bermuda grass comes up through it, I just you know get in there and and pull, and it you know I keep it under control. You rarely ever going to truly eliminate Bermuda grass, but mixed in with your asparagus, uh, it's just nothing but a little bit of physical labor is going to keep it keep it contained. Now, how thick a mulch can I put in there? Oh, a couple of inches. If it's a loose mulch, you could put four or six inches of mulch. But um, I, a couple of inches is usually adequate. Just just a good loose material. It can be just shredded up leaves. It can be, uh, uh, you don't have to go out and buy a super expensive mulch. You want to make it a better mulch, you can always mix a little compost in with it. But at this point, we just want a couple of inches of something that's going to kind of screen the light away from the Bermuda grass, make it grow upwards to try to get to it, and that'll make it real easy to pull out. Now, I have some uh, wood chips from uh, the Kendall County Brush area. Uh, How would that work? That'll work just great. Okay. Very good. Well, I sure thank you, and we appreciate your show. Well, we appreciate you. Get out and do a little rain dance now. Kendalia needs some rain almost as bad as Bernie does, so... uh it's uh i'm sure it'll come one of these days but but if you're well my business partner lives just uh right down the road from you up there and uh if your soil is as dry as hers uh we need a good rain so if you got any rain dancing abilities get out there and do it well that brings up another question uh i know you're you work with the with the water right. board over there uh how 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 good is our aquifer right now? Our aquifer is at the highest level that it's probably been in 10 to 12 years. But water is a moving target, so to speak. Uh, even though we have, you're sitting up on top of part of the Cow Creek, part of the Hensel Sands aquifer, but that water is always moving through, so to speak. And um, it, you know, it feeds into the Guadalupe River. The Guadalupe River puts water back into the aquifer. So, uh it's we're in we're in very good shape right now probably like i say our uh most all of our aquifers lower trinity is not real not real good right now but uh, you're not you're not down in lower trinity but right now our aquifers are at the highest level they've probably been in about 10 years well very good all right well i appreciate it thank you bob appreciate you sid thank you sir (laughs) goodbye All right, let me see here. I'm going to go ahead and talk to Kim, and then it'll be Faye and a second Kim. This is my Kim, uh, Tiki Island Kim. Good morning, Kim. 
Hi, how are you doing? Bob? I'm great, thank you. How about you today? Oh, actually, I'm doing fantastic. As soon as I get off the phone with you, we are going to jump in the boat and see if we can go wrangle some trout or redfish. Oh, man. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> it's going to be. I was listening to the guys on the outdoor show as I was driving in this morning, and they were talking about everything from the Texas coast all the way over to Calcasieu and uh, how good the fishing is likely to be. So uh, I'm a little jealous, and I certainly wish you the very, very best of luck. But what can I help you with before you make that uh, little ride? Well, actually, I was calling this morning because um, I'm kind of hoping that I can throw some information out there. I had kind of a, a terrible week in my garden. Okay. Um, or actually, it started off kind of kind of bad. Um, I did some propagating on my milkweed. Uh-huh. Um, was taking some cuttings this week, um, early, like last Sunday. And um, a few hours after I, you know, took the cuttings, I came upstairs and sitting on the couch, had dinner and all that, and all of a sudden... Uh, my left eye just really got irritated. Mm-hmm. And because of the time lapse, I didn't put two and two together. Right. And I immediately, you know, I took some allergy pills. I thought, oh, no, my allergies are acting up. Spring has sprung, kind of thing like that. And I put some allergy drops in, took some medication. And um, probably, and then obviously, went to sleep. We put kind of, it was really irritating. We put some ice on it and um, all kinds of stuff like that. Anyway. Um, probably within the next 12 hours, you know, in the next day at school, cause I'm a teacher, my left eye started getting real blurry, you know, just like the room was filled with smoke. And then all of a sudden, um, I was blind in that eye. I could wow. see nothing. It was like a white wall. Uh-huh. Um, so I came, you know, came home. I could, fortunately it only affected my left eye. Mm-hmm. Well, I came home the next day and I started, um, just Google searching, looking for things, and off to the side, you know, I'd put in, like, eye irritation. I saw milkweed plant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I did some, uh, you know, so then I looked specifically, uh, you know, at the milkweed situation, and sure enough, my symptoms were identical, I guess. I must have somehow touched or scratched my eye or yep. above my yep. eye or Rubbed dry or... You know, got something in it. Yeah, it it has an alkaloid in it. That's why they call it milkweed, of course. It's that white sap. Right. And you can almost mm-hmm. be certain anything with a white milky sap is going to be potentially very irritating. Now, have you recovered? Has your vision gotten back to normal? It has not normal yet, but it is definitely, I mean, it's not light sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's not light sensitive anymore. It's it's, I mean, it's slightly, slightly blurry, but not, not even, I mean, yes, it's back. I can see out of that eye. Good. So, and it said that it would take up to two weeks to be like completely right. um, normal. And I just wanted to call because, you know, I've been butterfly, I've been doing these gardens for well over 20 years. Right. And I had never heard of that. So I thought, you know, because I, I listen to your show regularly and I, you know, if I'm not listening on Saturday morning or Sunday morning because of church or whatever, I'll play the podcast back. So I thought, man, I'm going to throw that out there. So People don't make the same well, mistake I did because I actually looked in, at some other stuff thinking, okay, well, what else do I have out here? So I looked sure. up toxic plants in the garden and stuff like that. Milkweed shows up on none of those lists. Right. And I even went to Howard Garrett's site, and he's got you know a couple of sections in his library, one on the milkweed plant and then one on toxic plants, and it wasn't mentioned there either. And I thought, you know, it was and they say if it had gotten directly like this was obviously just um, from my gloves or from something like that. So, you know, in the future, I would just use disposable gloves and get rid of them um, because, 
you, it's, I guess the residue can stay on there. Well, yeah, and, you can you can wash it off. I'm making notes as we go to talk to Howard about that this morning. And, you know, you have a sensitivity to it, obviously, and these things come and go. Unfortunately, as we get older, some of our we mm-hmm. become more sensitive to some things. I'm really glad you brought it up, and I'm hopefully you've helped some other people. But uh, my rule of thumb is anything that has a milky sap, be very cautious of it uh, because mm-hmm. it is quite likely to cause uh, irritation of some sort. And, of course, your the tissues in and around your eye are among the most sensitive on your whole body. Uh, and and you bring up another real good point. Uh, while they may be comfortable, cotton garden gloves and some of these others will also absorb saps and things like that. And a rubberized glove, nitrile is is my favorite coating. But uh, anytime you're you're working with anything, whether it's you know something like poison ivy, which is obviously affects a lot of people, or any of the milky sapped plants. Uh, wear a glove that you can wash the residue off of. Now, your cotton gloves, you can clean them by throwing them into the di- into the washing machine, and you'll get right, right. most all of it out of there. But who thinks about doing that? You know, I'm usually thinking about a cold beverage <laughs> when I get through gardening <laughs> or fishing, either one. Is but it, uh, is uh, it I, only the milky sap that does it, or are the leaves? Are there any other parts of that plant that are toxic, or is it only? Well, the sap the is throughout sap. the plant. Sap is throughout the plant, so. Um, in the leaves as well, because yes. you know I I had handled the leaves and everything because I just actually released a bunch of butterflies because mm-hmm. I saved them because I thought it was going to get too cold, sure. and it didn't. I've got uh, probably a hundred chrysalis hanging around here right now. Oh, wow. um, I know the grandbabies are loving it. In fact, I had to go get more milkweed plant. And that's why I was trying to get yeah. my own plants going. The, it, it, there there is a smaller amount that you're going to get from handling the leaves and when you're actually cutting and propagating. But you can, um, you know, it's kind of like peppers. Uh, go out and, you know, a lot of people will learn the hard way. Don't pick peppers oh, and then rub mm-hmm, your eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just Absolutely. the same sort of thing. Um, you, you will get a much more of it on you if you're actually cutting and getting that sap on you. But uh, uh, since you know you're sensitive to it, I would be very uh, careful with all parts of the plants in the future. Protection. It's actually called, um, what it does is it gets, when it gets in there, it makes the retina swell, yeah. and it's called corneal endothelial. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right. E-N-D-O-T-H-E-L-I-A-L. It's just medical terms. The cornea, of course, yeah. is the lens on the outer right. outer right. portion it of your eye. It makes it all swell, and that's what... And well, it, it did I'm, say that if it gets directly in there, it could cause permanent damage. Well, so I just thought I would call you this morning because, you know... Being an avid gardener, I've had to learn a few things the hard way, and maybe I could keep somebody else from doing that. Kim, we certainly appreciate it, and I hope you're rewarded with a couple of really big fish today. Get out and enjoy. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Thank uh-huh. you. you have a good day, too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Faye is next. Good morning, Faye. How are you this morning? Uh, oh, just fine. Just fine. Thank you, Bob. Been listening to you, and... Uh, some questions have come to mind here. Okay. Uh, when you mentioned that semaphore, yes. uh, would you spell that? It's S-E-M-A-S-P-O-R-E. Okay. I'll see if I can find some yeah, of, it, of it that. Contains, it contains this bacteria called Nosema locustri, which is uh, harmless to people and pets, but one of the few out there that will keep grasshoppers under control. 
Well, I think we've had them year-round out here a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Keep seeing one pop up and try to Yeah, they're always some. Just some years are worse than others. (laughs) Well, um, I have several little questions. When I talked to you last, it was about um, uh, ants in large containers, and Mm -hmm. you mentioned just doing a good uh, uh, thorough soaking. And now I'm needing to use some of those that I didn't get around to. And they have some ants. Can I use a, a watered-down um, amount of orange uh, oil like you often mention to people with their plants that you don't oh, want to hurt those roots? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh. And, um, yeah, as long as you don't go over maybe a teaspoon per gallon, I think uh, some people think it actually benefits the plants. You just don't want to get it too strong. I don't think I'd use it on any really sensitive plants, uh, ferns, or any of the real unusual things, anything with roots out on the surface like orchids. But where you're just planting your bedding plants or vegetable plants should be no problem. Okay. Well, that uh, I'll get after that today then. And um, I have a bunch of multiplier, multiplying onions mm-hmm. and just have not used or been been sharing them like I would like to do. So they're getting pretty thick in the pots in, in each case. Now, I wanted to ask you about, uh, and also there are little bulbs on the top. Do and I'm not sure that that's those same multiplying ones, but do mm-hmm. they get a bulb at the top as well as Yes, uh, they do, the and you can propagate them from both. Oh, okay. So just uh, take them out, and uh, they're, they're still good, and just share little clumps? <laughs> just just gently break them into separate little clumps, and uh, you're kind to share with your friends, and uh, be a fine time to do it. Okay, good. Uh, and that... I'll do that, and it seems to me there should be another question, and it'll pop up after a while. Um, <laughs> you know where to find me when it does, Faith. <laughs> one quick one on, on the bird feeders and the kind of bird seed you put out. I don't uh, have a source like you have there right close, but I've got to, um, I could use a scratch, and then I can use some of whatever I can get. Uh, well, if you want the gold, or if you want finches, not just goldfinch, but house finch, red finch, uh, all the different finches, see if you can find in your grocery store. Probably will have it. It's just not going to be the quality of Wild Birds Unlimited. But look for what they call thistle, t h i s t l e, thistle seed. Also sold as Niger seed, n i g e r. It's not really a thistle, and it doesn't germinate, so you're not bringing in a problem. But you can uh, add that to other things if you want to bring in a wider range of birds. That's one That's one that I probably would be looking for if I really wanted to attract some uh, pretty songbirds. Oh, good. Thank you. And and we want to try to keep down some of the critters yeah. out there, the little all the little bugs out there. So that would be great. Yes. Well, thank you, Bob. That covers my main questions today. Sure good to talk to you, Faye. Have a wonderful weekend. And I'll move on to Kim. I came up in Austin. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a problem with uh, white flies on a, on a Meyer lemon, and I okay. sprayed it a few weeks ago with some um, neem oil. But then I heard you say that neem oil loses its potency like after six months, and oh, I yeah. know I bought this last summer. Well, yeah. So, 
it's probably gone. I tell you, white flies, what I use on white flies is a product that has insecticidal soap in it. You can use straight insecticidal soap, or I've really come to like this uh, spinosad soap, which is insecticidal soap with some spinosad in it. It's the only thing out there that gets all three life stages, the eggs, the larvae, and the adults. And uh, while fresh neem would get at least one or two stages of the life cycle. Um, the spinosad soap keeps for years, and uh, I think you'll find it to be much more effective against the white flies than anything else on the market. Okay, is there a specific brand name? I think I it's think? Natural Guard, but uh, it's. I think there's only one company producing it right now. And like I say, any insecticidal soap is going to be good. Safers is the company that's been around forever. But uh, right. if yeah, if you're looking for the best of the best, look for the one that has the spinosad in it that they simply call spinosad soap. But if you don't find that, settle for any good insecticidal soap. Okay, and what about uh, black spot on roses? Um, you can you can prevent uh, either by you know spraying with uh, garlic stops black spot pretty well. Um, and you can both prevent and cure if you will simply soak some whole ground cornmeal in water for maybe 24 hours and then spray with that. That stimulates a beneficial fungus called trichoderma that will control the black spot and will also prevent it. Now, the leaves that have it, it's not going to go away. But what you're going to do is keep it from spreading into the new foliage. And uh, I love, we, we just call it corn water tea, and that's a great spray uh, to prevent it. And uh, the other thing you can do, if your roses have foliage that's very low to the ground, this gets started when it you get through watering or through rain. It actually splashes up onto the plants. Uh, if you'll just dust like half a cup or so of whole ground cornmeal around the base of each rose bush, that'll go a long way toward keeping it from ever getting started to begin with. Okay, so um, I had had a bad problem last year, and then, of course, I cut my roses way back and they're looking good right now but mm -hmm. i know that it's around so that's <laughs> one thing i wanted to prevent well so what is the recipe to soak the cornmeal for 24 hours what oh just you put put uh maybe a fourth a cup of cornmeal in a gallon of water and if you want to do it the easy way, put it down on the toe of some old uh, pair of stockings, pantyhose, something like that, or go to right. the paint store and get a paint strainer's bag. Put it down in that, and that way you don't have to uh, strain it afterwards. You don't have to get the cornmeal back out. You can just pull that out after 24 hours and pitch it, and then you've got your, your liquid ready to go. Okay, perfect. All right, thank you. Always a pleasure, Kim. Thank you. Let's get John started here. And, John, if we have to hold you through the news break, we'll do that. What's going on this morning? Well, Bob, first of all, I want to say that uh, I've been using Sam for about a year now, and he's been doing a great job. Him and Marcus. Is I'm glad to hear that. Uh, he's a good yeah. guy. Yeah, he is. Say, so, listen, what I'm wondering is uh, we. I'm trying to find a, a flowering vine that will crawl into I've got an old uh, native pecan tree uh -huh. that I want to put a vine in. Okay. Uh, and meet something like this, something that grows pretty fast and 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 blooms. Well, is it fairly sunny? 
Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, this this tree is out in the middle of the field by itself. It does okay. not have a real thick canopy. Okay. Uh, well, look for if you want a and you want something that'll actually climb up the tree. Yes. Okay. Uh, there is a perennial vine called Queen's Crown, which uh, beautiful pink flowers or white flowers. Bees and butterflies love it, and it'll make 10,000 flowers, and it'll grow about, uh, I've seen it grow 8 or 10 feet in a two-week time period, so Queen's Crown will be a, a good one. Um, there is also something called Cypress Vine, which is an annual vine, but it reseeds and comes back. And then there is one called Thunbergia, also known as Black-Eyed Susan Vine.